Amen. Thanks, Barty. Morning, troops. That's an odd phrase, isn't it? Troops. Do you feel like troops this morning? Do you feel like the army of God? Or do you feel like the morning after the night before group of God? Do you, which, which is it? The latter, I suspect. That's me most Sunday mornings. Um, but we're on this new series, and um, we're talking about addressing the mess in our life. Let me just clarify something, because when I became a Christian, there is this idea around, isn't there, that you become a Christian and all of your problems go away. Anybody experience that? Me neither. Yeah. So it's not that sort of mess, because sometimes if you look at Jesus' life, he, he said, I've come to do the will of my Father. And he did, every step of the way. And was his life tidy? Were the people around him tidy? Were all of his relationships tidy and smooth? And hey, They weren't, were they? And when you follow God, weirdly, some things get slightly more messy because you're doing what God wants in a messed up world. So we're not talking about that sort of mess. We are talking about the sort of mess that really the decisions that we make that, that didn't have to happen, the stuff we do that we really didn't need to do. We're talking about that stuff. We're talking about the soap opera that you're watching on TV where the lead character is just about to make the same stupid decision for the umpteenth time and you're yelling at the telly, don't do that, you idiot. That's what we're talking about. That sort of stuff where we just keep making the same mistakes again and again and again and we wish we could stop. So we're talking about that sort of stuff. Uh, and in an act of unbridled honesty, we have all said we are all a bit messy. We are all a bit messy. Our finances, we've made mistakes. Our relationships, yeah, we've messed some of those up. Said some things we didn't mean to. We've got some family members who the relationship's a bit messy because of that. Our health. It's New Year, isn't it? How many of you are on a diet? Oh, dear. Yeah, there's a few of you. I know there's a few of you. Some of you told me. So, you know, our health, and we've messed that up, and we want to change it, and all this. We've all messed up in one way or another. Anybody here not messed up? A, you can do the sermon if you have. Anybody not messed up? That's good, because as Mark, Mark Twain once said, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. That's good. Okay, so one of the reasons we get in a mess in our lives, one of the reasons you and I get in a mess is because we, our beliefs are a bit messed up, and particularly about this thing we call Christian faith. And when you get a distorted view of what the Christian faith is all about, it affects your behavior and how you relate to people and the decisions you make. And when you get a bit messed up in what it's all about, it messes up your life. And one of the problems is our lives are messy because our understanding of our faith is distorted. So let me give you an example. Here you go. Um, and this is good news. So here we go. This is one of the things we believe. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Hallelujah. And that is absolutely true. Let me tell you, that is good news. Jesus loves you just the way you are. God loves you absolutely unconditionally. And I, I love telling people there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And there is absolutely nothing you have done 
that will make God love you less. His love for you is consistent and staggering. That is absolutely true. And that's why Jesus encouraged us to refer to his uh, uh, God Almighty. He said, I want you to call him our father. Because that's how parents work, isn't it? Parents work like that. When parents in churches, when I've been a pastor, we've often done a dedication where, you know, we, we don't baptize babies. We, we dedicate the parents to caring for them, helping them grow. So we dedicate parents, and the parents always say some promises. And one of the promises in churches I've been in, uh, they've always said, is this. I will love you wherever you may go and whatever you may do, knowing that you are God's gift to me. We've always asked parents to make that statement. And that's how parents work. That's how we work. We will always love them, no matter how frustrating we find them, no matter how much they do crazy stuff. They'll always be our kids and we'll always love them. And that's how God works too. But that's only half the truth. It's true, but it's only half the truth. And here's the other half, and this is good news too although a little bit more challenging. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Now, that's true of most parents too, isn't it? Those of you who are parents, if you love your kids, you will try and help them grow up. How many times have you said that to your kids? Grow up. How many of you said it? Each other or your spouse. Grow up. You know, we say that because we want people to grow up and mature. Good parents always want the best for their kids. And that is how God works too. So he loves you unconditionally. Whatever happens, he's going to love you. It's never going to change his level of his love. But he wants you to grow and to be all that you can be. Now, that's the whole truth. That's the whole of the good news. But we get in a mess because we only take the first bit. We only look at the first bit. And we think that's what the Christian life is all about. Many people think Christianity is just part one. It's just God loves me unconditionally. So they get into a pattern of making a mess, asking God to forgive them. Sorry, God won't do that again. Carry on, then make the same mistake again. Make a mess, ask God to forgive them do it again. And it gets into a bit of a cycle of mess, confess, repeat. It's a bit like a Tom Cruise film, live, die, repeat. It's a bit like that. Mess, confess, repeat. Mess, confess. Let me ask you a question. If that's all the Christian faith is, we got a problem. If that's our hope for each other, that all we do is keep repeating the same mistakes again and again, the same damage again and again in our lives and in our relationships and in our finances. If that's all we're hoping for, is that it? And that's what happens if you just take part one. If it's just God loves me just as I am, don't have to change. Nothing has to move in my life. Mess, confess, repeat. That is not Christianity. That is an EastEnders plot. That's what that is. Christian faith is much, much bigger than that. 
God has such big hopes for you and for me. He really does see you in a way you've never seen yourself. I think God, you say you believe in God. Let me tell you something. I think God believes in you a lot more than you believe in yourself most of the time. Because he has huge plans for you. And he has a huge expectation of what you can be and the sort of blessing you can be in this world. Our problem is we don't believe we can. But God believes it. And God's working on that. And God's bigger hopes, these bigger hopes, are expressed in a, in a passage, in a letter that uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was one of Jesus' followers, and uh, he wrote a letter to a church in a city called Philippi, it's in modern-day Greece today, and he wrote this letter to them to express this hope that it's more than just mess, confess, repeat. If that's it, we, we, you know, let's resign now. It's much bigger than that, and God has much bigger hopes for us than that. So here's what he said, and here's what he wrote to them. This is what he said. If it moves on. Hang on. Yeah, go for it, Sue. It's on a delay. There you go. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 1. He's writing this to these people. He planted this church, so he's a bit like their dad. He's a bit like a parent to them, and he wants them not just to mess up and repeat and confess. He wants them to grow because he's their spiritual parent. This is what he says. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, when you accepted this invitation to follow Jesus, God began working on something inside of you. Wow. Did you know he was doing that? Did you know he was starting a project in your life? And that's because God loves you as you are. But he does love you too much to leave you that way. So God started changing these people in Philippi. God started working in their lives, helping them to grow up into the children that God knows they can be. And that process has started. And as Becky said last week, it's not going to be a quick fix. This is going to take a while. This is going to take a while. If you've ever tried changing anything in your life, you will know it takes a while. A lot of trial and error, but you get there eventually. It takes time. Growth in your life and my life takes time. It does. But that process has started. And Paul says, God is at work. You notice that in you. He's at work in you. That's important because... Christianity isn't like the self-help section of Waterstones. Because if it was, we wouldn't need churches. we just have Waterstones, and we'd all go there to sort out the mess in our lives, wouldn't we? To be more efficient in our diarizing, we'd get a book on that. Or to be more efficient at work, we'd get a book on that. 
And Christianity is more than just a self-help section of Waterstones. God isn't trying to give you some tips, 10 tips on staying out of trouble. He isn't interested in just some behavioral modification in my life and in yours. God's goal is not just to change your outward behavior. He's, he wants to change you from the inside out, hence the title of this sermon. He wants to change you from the inside out. That's the goal of our faith. Not just mess, confess, repeat. Mess, confess, repeat. But changing you inside out. And that makes sense to me because I'm a chaplain in a hospital. And in hospital, I'm often up on the oncology ward. And there are people there who've just been told the bad news. They say, we found something. We found a tumor. It's cancer. And no patient I've ever met on that ward has said to the consultant when they've just been told they have something inside of them that is going to seriously mess up their life, potentially ending it. Nobody says to the consultant, oh, okay, just give me some tablets for the symptoms and I'll be out of here. They never say that. You know what they say? Get it out. Get rid of it. Whatever is inside me that is going to mess me up, get rid of it. And that's what God's interested in. He's not interested in dealing with your symptoms. He's interested in dealing with your cause inside so that it works outside. See, being a Christian isn't about dealing with symptoms. It's not about behavior management. It's about changing a person from the inside out. God wants to change your heart and your mind. He wants to change the way you think, and he wants to change the way you feel. He wants to do that. So that what's inside of me flows outside. He wants to make you like Jesus. One of the most staggering things for me in the Bible is, you know how what's inside of you tends to come out when you're under pressure? You ever experienced that? You're having a bad day. Uh, the heating's packed up. Um, the car's broken down. The one, you know, you're late for an appointment. It's all going horribly wrong. And, and what's inside of you tends to come out, doesn't it? Someone cuts you up at the lights. And what's inside of you tends to come out. And you think, oh, where did that come from? Where's well, inside of you? It's the stuff you've got inside of you. What amazes me is, you know what happened to Jesus when, when, when he was under all the pressure you can imagine, when he's hanging on a cross, an unjust trial, an unjust death, and he's hanging on a cross, bleeding to death. And when they squeezed him, do you know what came out? Father, forgive them. God says, I want to transform you into that. I want so what's inside of you, when squeezed and when the pressure's on, it comes out and it is just something beautiful. He wants to change you that much. I think that's amazing. He's got a lot of work to do, hasn't he? He's got a lot of work to do in me. And he's got a lot of work to do in you. He's not interested in outward behavior and a few tips for better behavior and behavior modification. He wants to change you inside out. He doesn't want to just keep you out of trouble. He wants to transform your life and mine. 
And Paul is confident that God will carry this work on to the completion, to the day of, he says, to the day of Christ Jesus. He will commit, you've got a great backup here, he will commit to helping you do this until you see Jesus face to face. And it will take that long. Trust me, it will take that long. But he's with you all the way. So here's the million-dollar question. What is the work that God wants to do in me? What does he want to change? He's working in me. He wants to transform me. What's that look like? How does he want to do it? What does it look like to be a mature, grown-up Christian? What does it look like? Well, good news. Paul tells us what God is working on inside of you to help you grow up. And here it is. This is what he says. It's on the screen. This is my prayer that you behave yourself. And if you don't, I'm going to come back there and make you behave. No, that's what we say to the kids on the way to holiday. That's not Some of the stuff we say to kids on the way to holiday is dreadful, isn't it? They say, are we there yet? And we come up with other phrases like, are you crying? If you're not careful, I'll come back and give you something to cry about. I mean, social services would have a field day. But we say all sorts of stuff, don't we? That's not good parenting. God's a good parent, remember? God's a good parent. So what would God say to us to help us grow up? This is what it says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. And that's how God wants you from the inside out. That's what he's doing. Really sure. If you remember nothing else today, remember this. God wants you to grow in love. That's it. God wants you to grow into a more loving person. Now, that might come in as a bit of a surprise. Because if you're a good evangelical like me, well, I'm not that good an evangelical. In fact, I'm getting a worse evangelical the older I get. But if you're a good evangelical, you were taught that Christian maturity, that God growing you up involved knowing your Bible more. Isn't that a sort of subtext that we've all grown up learning? If I know my Bible, I'm a mature. They know their Bible. They must be really mature in God. You want to grow up? So the answer is you usually study the Bible more. Study the Bible more. How many of us have made a resolution to do that this year? I wonder how many of you are thinking, I'm going to read through the Bible in one year. I could be torpedoing your plans here. I'm sorry about this. But you may be thinking, I'm going to just, that'll me, you know, then I'll grow up, I'll read through the Bible in one year, and I'll be a better Christian at the end of it. I hate to tell you this. Um, and I know you think it's going to address the mess in your life if you just read the Bible more. But there are plenty of Christians that I know and have bumped into over the years, who can parse every Greek phrase, who know what all the trumpets in Revelation mean, who know what amillennial, premillennial, and postmillennial is all about, and which one's the right one. And they know all this stuff, and yet they still go home at the end of the day, after a church service, they shout at their wives, and they kick the cat. There are plenty of Christians who know a lot of stuff about the Bible, and who are miserable people. It's the truth. And you know some of them. You might be sad. No, you, you know some of them. They know God's word, 
but they really are not transformed people at all. They're really not. It shouldn't surprise you that God wants you to grow not just in knowledge. He doesn't, the Bible isn't, to, isn't for your information. The Bible is for your transformation. And if you're not using, if you're not reading through it in a year to be a more loving person, then forget it. And here's why. Listen to this. Remember, Jesus was once asked a question. He was asked this question. What's the most important thing? God, Jesus, God, Jesus, same person. If you were to say, what do you want the most for us to do? Here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love, love, love. Love God. Love others. Even like yourself, my friends, staggering decision, but even like yourself, like God does. Jesus says, if you want to know what's most important to me, here it is. I want you to have a loving relationship with God, and I want you to have a loving relationship with each other, and a loving relationship with you, just like I do. And that's amazing, because most of us act as if Jesus' answer would have been, behave yourself, sort yourself out, stop doing this, and start doing that. Jesus doesn't tell us to do any of that. Most of the goals in our New Year's resolutions have to do with general behavior, don't they? Do better, do good. Start this, stop that. How many of our resolutions and goals for this new year have been, I want to grow in love? And how many of our resolutions are focused on that? Will help us to become more loving? Because if they're not, I think they're out of kilter with what God is trying to work and do in you. The project he started that Paul is praying for. Jesus says, if you want to know what's most important to me, I want you to learn how to love spiritual maturity and it's on the screen spiritual maturity is not about how much you know spiritual maturity is not about how well you behave you want to know what a spiritually mature person is it's someone who loves who knows how to love and love like jesus loves us that's a person who is mature in faith. That's maturity. Now, I wonder how many of us made a resolution this year to partner with God to make us a more loving person. How many of us are praying that God will make us a more loving person? Paul prays for love, and he says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best not mess confess repeat mess that's not best that's a low bar what's best that you grow in love and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of christ in other words that this process is a lifelong one and god started it when you first said i'll follow you and that's going to continue but we get into that lifelong task of becoming more loving people with God.
And it's a long process, and it's one I've been struggling with even this week. I got home on Tuesday night um, after being very loving to all sorts of people because it's in my job description. I'm a, it is. I'm a chaplain. I tell you, this is really helpful. Get a job where you have to be loving, and you get fired if you're not. Um, and I have to be loving to all sorts of people, and some of them are really grumpy. And I don't blame them because, quite frankly, they're in a hospital and who wouldn't be grumpy if you're in a hospital? But I have to be loving to people. But it's a bit different when I get home because <laughs> then I'm off duty. <laughs> so I got home on Tuesday night and Claudia had to send an email and I'm saying to her, love, I've got to preach on Sunday. This is really important. Big man, preacher. I've got to preach. So would you please get off the computer? And she said, I won't be long. I won't be long. And she was on there for ages. And the time's ticking. I'm thinking, I'm going to be up till midnight doing this sermon. And, and was I loving? No. <laughs> Bang on. I was not very loving to my wife that, that night. And the irony of it is I'm preparing a sermon on the theme of loving other people. Am I loving? Not always. This is a lifelong process, and God is still where I need Jesus, in the famous phrase, you need Jesus, I need Jesus, and I need him to keep working in me, because it's so easy, isn't it? So easy not to be the loving person that I'm supposed to be. So how do you know you're becoming a more loving person? What's the test? Uh, there's a little verse about that. This is what it says, and by this all men will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. Hang on a minute. Jesus just said the most important thing, the first command is you love the Lord your God. And now you're saying, love one another. Which is it, Jesus? Which is it? Aren't I supposed to love God first? Shouldn't I just be praying more? Shouldn't I just be reading my Bible more? Shouldn't I just be coming to church more in order to grow in love? But he says, no, the litmus test is that you love other people. That's what it looks like when you love others. And he said all sorts of things about it. He said one of, the things, one of the most scandalous things Jesus said, which you didn't think was scandalous, but it would be to the people at the time. He said, imagine you're going to church, or he said the temple, but imagine you're going to church and you're going to make a sacrifice to God. So you're going to go and you're going to spend your time and you're going to sing to God or you're going to work in the music group or you're going to be teaching the kids and you're going to be doing all that. You're making a sacrifice to God. And imagine on the way you remember that you had some pretty harsh words with somebody previously in the week and it didn't end well and you said things, some things you're not proud of and they certainly said some things to you that have been bothering you all week and imagine that comes up on your way to church here's what I want you to do scrap church go and sort it out with them that's what he said and they were scandalized they said hang on Jesus are you saying I should put other people before God. If I'm going to be a more loving person, that I should put other people before God. And Jesus says, no. I'm saying that's how you put God first. You put God first by loving other people. And when you put other people's needs ahead of your own, especially people you struggle with, that's how you love God. That's how you do it. 
And that's how you'll make, you'll know you're growing in love because you're loving others, particularly people that you're finding it hard to love. How do I know I'm growing in love? I love others. And what's really weird is that that is loving God. You don't think it is. You think other things make it proof that you're loving God, but that's how you love God. You love others. Jesus once said, Matthew 25, I love this passage, and it always threw me for a while. And he tells this other parable at a time, and he's separating out the people who really love him from the people who don't love him at all. And uh, he calls them sheep and goats. And he's separating these two groups of people out. And he says this weird thing. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And all the people who love Jesus are sat there thinking, when did we do that? I don't remember doing that. Do you remember doing that? No, I don't. And they're all talking to him. When did we do that? And Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these, you did it for me. You want to make God feel loved? Do something for someone else. God feels that love. God experiences love from you when you love others. How do you love God? You love him by loving others. And when you love people, you're putting Christ first. When you love people, you're loving him. So here's what we need to do. If you're going to partner with God and... If you're going to join him with his project that he started in you when you first decided, okay, Jesus, I'm with you, that project he started inside of you, if you want to do that, we need to be intentionally pursuing some loving relationships. And we're going to close with just some hints on how you might do that. And here are three areas where you might want to pursue some loving relationships. With your family, you can pick your friends but you can't pick your family, brothers and sisters. And some of them are really hard to love. Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe with other believers. Maybe you need to do something loving, and I'm talking practical, loving sacrifice. The way Jesus loved us, you need to start loving them. Or maybe it's with friends and strangers, those in your work or your social life. And you need to be the greatest advert for Jesus ever. And you need to be a person of love in that situation. And we all know, I've worked, I used to work in Barclays International. There was a Christian in Barclays International who I got on okay with because she knew I was a Christian. But let me tell you, her relationships with everybody else was awful. And nobody really liked her. And she wasn't the best at loving people. And maybe we need to start there. Maybe we need to be the best employee on the planet. And people say, you know what, I may not like Christians, but I would employ someone like that. I want someone like that in my business. Because they're just such a wonderful person. They're such just a blessing to everybody around them in their team. Maybe we need to start like that and gain a reputation in our place of work where we are the most loving person there.
Maybe we need to be as spiritual as we can be by pursuing intentional relationships with others. To meet a believer who's investing in those three relationships, in those three areas, just pick one. There's a lot to go with. Just pick one and work on it. And to meet someone who's working on that is to meet a godly person. Where you get to in each of these areas isn't the point, because it's not just on you, is it? It takes two to make a relationship, and you may try to be as loving as possible, and it's really hard. And they're not cooperating, and they're not loving you back. That's not the point. The point is that you're pursuing it. And if those three gauges in my spiritual dashboard are going up, then I'm where God wants me to be. And he is being put first in my life. That puts a whole new spin on home groups, doesn't it? You in a home group? Big debate this time of year, what are we going to study? Is your home group focused on knowing more? Or is it focused on loving more? The first one's a lot easier. Second one's a real challenge. How well do you know each other in your home group? Really, how well do you know each other? Why don't you, here's a little, this will freak you out. Why don't you plan once a month to give the floor to one of your group once a month and get to know them? Spend 40 minutes grilling them. You can get a lamp out if you want and fire it in their face. <laughs> a low wattage one, obviously, because you don't want to make them too worried. But you can just sit them in the spotlight. This will really freak you out. Sit them in the spotlight and just say, tell us about your life. Start with primary school. Say, tell us about your life. Tell us about what God's done in it. Tell us about what it was like before you knew Christ and since you've known Christ. What are you struggling with? What really winds you up? What do you love? What are, your, what are your passions? And you, you tell us about yourself. Tell us what's going on, where you're strong, where you're weak. That, that's scary, isn't it? That's called intimacy. Watch out for that one. Intimacy. But you know, you can't love people unless you get intimate. You can't. You want to love people, get close. Get to know them. Why don't you do that once a month? I had to say that because I made that suggestion at my home group. And when I didn't say it, I'll be in all sorts of trouble. But we're going to experiment with this in our life group as well. At the end of the day, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's not about how well you live. It's about how well you love. Some of us here might need to take a next step. If all you've ever done is come to a Sunday service, you are going to struggle with this. You're really going to struggle with this. Because it's really hard to develop relationships and to love people in a meaningful, tangible, practical way in a group of 150 people for an hour on a Sunday morning. You don't really get much opportunity because you're sat there listening to me. So you're not doing it at the moment because you're sat there listening and doing stuff that's from the front. So this won't help you practically do that. 
you might need to join a small group where people get to know each other. And it might be a, a group as a life group, uh, a home group, who are gathering to worship together and learn together and love each other together. And it might be a team in this place they were working at when I got to know in my when I first became a Christian, I joined we had a little drama group and I really got to know the people in that drama group, particularly with drama, because you have to do silly things together and it, it sort of takes down the walls a little bit and you get to know each other. And I the first Christian relationships I had were because I joined a little drama group. And I got to know those people. We became great friends and were able to love each other. Some of us are expecting to grow, but if you're not in relationship, you will not grow in love. You cannot grow in love unless you are in relationships. Because you cannot love if you're out of community. So maybe that's the challenge. To join a little group somewhere in this place where you can love and practice loving others. Take a step. Invest in one of those relationships. Join a group. And if you do any of these things this week, you will be moving and cooperating in what God is trying to do in you. And that is make you a more loving person. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us. Sometimes we miss the wood for the trees. We thank you for your word and the way that it wants to transform us. But it wants to transform us into more loving people. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for worship. We thank you for all of these things. But Lord, may they serve the purpose of what you are trying to do inside of us to transform us into more loving people so that one day, when squeezed, what comes out of us is what came out of Jesus. Love and grace. Lord, make us like him and continue this work in us until one day. And we look forward to that day where you will complete it when we see him face to face. Lord, may all that we do serve the purpose of making us like you. God is love. And those who live in God live in love. So we ask for your help. Thank you that you've already guaranteed it. Amen. Here are some questions for you to think about. What goals or resolutions have you set yourself this year? Are they about doing what's right? Or are they about doing what's right for others? And how do you see your faith? as something to keep you out of trouble? Or do you expect it to transform you 
from the inside out. And if spiritual maturity and loving God is about how well you love others, which relationships will you invest in this year? good yeah yeah thank you phil um i think there's something a little something for everyone in there no matter sort of who you are where you are i think actually there's some encouragement and some challenge uh, yes. for all of us um yes. in there we were we were both having a discussion about the sort of thinking you know oh yeah, yeah. that's challenge <laughs> yeah and you know and i think as someone said in the chat as well you know how do we it's it's easy to love people who are easy to love Yes. Um, and actually, where do we where do we then sit in those when it's difficult, or when you've been loving all day at work and then you come home? Yeah, like that one. Whatever that one resonated. <laughs> yeah. And I think also it's about um, so you're saying about the fact that to love people and to have that relationship with people and move that on is you do have to get intimate. And I think there's there's a thing I felt in my past where I have had those times where I've opened up, I've let people in. And they feel like I feel like they've just walked all over my life. Yeah. Well, they've just walked all over my feelings or whatever it is. And then so those walls go back up, don't they? They yeah. you put up those barriers again and you go, OK, do you know what? I tried that. That didn't work. That that hurt. So I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to keep it to myself or just me and God. And I'm not going to share it with other people. So I think people have we all have lots of experiences that that challenges us, doesn't it? Yeah. Because actually that's some for some that's an easier thing to do because we all know those people that are like oh my gosh they're so loving of everybody they're amazing <laughs> how do they do it because they obviously have jesus yeah. um but you know even those that you don't think believe in jesus they there's certain people isn't there that just seem to be kind to everybody compassionate about everybody and love everybody i don't feel like i'm one of those um, <laughs> but those 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 you think how do they do that because you know how do they not get hurt how do they yeah. not feel when that's not reciprocated or when they're, they're they've opened themselves up and allow people in and then so you know yeah and I think that's sort of isn't it yeah and that sort of does tie into one of Phil's questions that's about actually how do we see our faith mm. and is it something to keep us out of trouble or yeah. something that we expect to transform us uh, from the inside out and I think that actually it's exactly that and actually sometimes mm. our faith is that sort of crutch and that thing to keep us out of trouble and that yeah. thing that we sort of when when we've been hurt but actually it's like a double-edged sword our faith actually it is that um that encouragement that comfort that whatever but at the same time it's that challenge um yeah. and it's that thing that transforms us and it's that thing that um spurs us on and again we were chatting we weren't listening to phil but again we were <laughs> chatting again about um that passage where it says you know that all have fallen short of the glory of god and actually all of us need that transformation and that in itself is an encouragement and a challenge it's you know because as, as you said jen actually we look at these people that are like oh i'm amazing like but they're not like that but we think oh my word they're amazing um yeah. but actually it's an encouragement that even they have fallen short and so actually i'm not the worst person on earth um but it's also a challenge that I've fallen short and I need to be better. And actually mm. letting that faith and letting Jesus then work in us and working with Jesus to be transformed 
um, to his where he is. And, and also, I think there is that thing about being, you know, he's sort of saying, you know, being letting people in. It's actually, a, you know, I, I've shared with Helen, you know, he was saying about you need to be loving to people and feel, you know, and, and love everybody, not just the people that are easy to love. And I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm not that. And she goes, you really you really are. You don't come across <laughs> like that. And I was like, do I? Yeah. So sometimes your self-perception is wrong. Your your yeah. gauge is wrong about how you're actually doing on this journey. Yeah. Because I think so often we are, we're the biggest critic of ourselves, aren't we? We're the hardest critic. Oh. And, you know, what struck me, it, it, I, I generally am okay and I find it okay to love others because I always think I'm, I'm probably not the best person on the world. So you know what how who am I to judge or criticize or whatever but I am not probably very loving of myself and I find that the biggest challenge yeah. is actually loving myself how God loves me yeah. I that's one of my biggest challenges I think yeah because I I tend to default to not <laughs> well you should you're very lovely and very loving uh, um, I didn't go fishing for a compliment honestly no but you are, though. <laughs> um, and I think you know Phil actually opened his message, summing it up really well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's a slightly old cliche that we use all the time, but I think actually it sums everything up that we've talked about this morning so beautifully. It's actually Jesus loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to leave you that way. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually that sums up everything so beautifully. Yeah. Um, Everybody's welcome to, to Jesus's house, as yes. it were. <laughs> Um, so some next steps for the week going ahead or your weeks and months going ahead. Um, I think we had them from Phil there, which was about trying to seek out who you can love. Is it family, friends, um, relationships, work relationships and how you show that to them? So how do you shift your way of thinking and the way of feeling maybe towards a particular person? It might You might challenge yourself and say, this is a particular person I find really difficult to get on with. And so I'm going to make an extra effort and, and just asking God, um, you know, to come in and help you to do that because he does love that person as he should do. And even if you don't, he will try and help you to do that. Um, so you might want to challenge yourself or you might want to choose an easier person to love, but just starting to move you into that, that way of being able to let somebody in a bit more and find out a bit more about them so that you can walk alongside them maybe. So I feel that's the challenge for your next steps. Yeah. So if you've enjoyed the message, yes, um, and you like this, and you think, "Wow, that was that really resonated with me," and I reckon my friend or Joe—I was going to say Joe Blogs, but you know, somebody might be called Joe Blogs. So I'm going to get Joe all Blogs. of these messages sent to them. Joe Blogs at. No. <laughs> um, so you know, do share it and um, yeah, let them know where we are, and that'll be be brilliant. Yeah, and similarly, if you're feeling lost at the end of it all or actually you've been left with questions and actually this is something that you're interested in but want to take a bit further or something that's confused you or thrown you or whatever you can get in contact with us at gotquestions at hollybaptist.org.uk um, and someone will be able to either answer you or point you in the direction of some answers um, and this is a really great resource that we really encourage you uh, to get in touch um, if you are lost or feeling found or anything in between or this has um, generated particular questions for you, then do email that email. 